0: Hey everyone. Today's episode is for the people who saw this audiobook was one hour and thought, that's way too long. Can it be shorter and with less famous comedians? <laughs> it's Creativity, a short and cheerful guide by John Cleese, who, according to my quick research, became famous for working with snakes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and so is
0: John Cleese. So I'll let you do the math. <laughs> And I'm David Vance. Not joking. I'm not sure if I've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail or if it was just quoted to me by every kid in junior high. (laughs) Did you have that happen as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's also why Dumb and Dumber and Tommy Boy aren't as funny to me in the retro way that they are with so many of my peers. Because I heard the movies quoted before I saw them. And so then all it seemed like is that these movies were quoting my dumb friends. <laughs>
0: Creativity, a short and cheerful guide, offers quick creativity tips for everyone. So if you're someone who thinks you're not creative, you could not be more stupid. (laughs) And this is the book pile. All right, a little reminder to please leave us a short and cheerful review. Or Kellen's favorite, a cheerful review with one passive comment that keeps us up at night.
1: (laughs) Release the Hound says... I'm getting old, so I didn't know what a podcast was, but Kellen and Dave got me hooked on their show and encouraged me to join the 21st century. This 41-year-old thanks you for the laughs, which I believe is now called an LOL. Thanks so much, Release the Hounds. (laughs) But I mean, 41, that's... I had this happen recently where, uh, I was working with another comic who had just ordered a soda and then he had like a roll of Tums with him and I was like, oh man, I get heartburn really easily too. And I like pulled out my Tums and he, we both laughed together and then he goes, oh man, old age, right? (laughs) I was like, I've been taking these since I was nine. Like I just have stomach issues. (laughs) Don't include me in on this. Like, I don't have an ancient tummy. (laughs) But yes, thank you, Release the Hounds.
0: Finally, our next two books are Timeline and A Listener Request by La 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 Banana. This is how they tell me the world ends.
1: Speaking of stand-up, if you want to see me live on Valentine's Day, I'm going to be in Portland, Oregon at Helium Comedy Club. Then February 23rd, I'm in New Brunswick, New Jersey at the Stress Factory. And then the 25th to the 27th, I'm at the Stress Factory in Bridgeport, Connecticut. That's right. Come out for some great comedy at the worst name for a comedy club. (laughs) Doesn't that just sound like what they should rename uh, the Apple facility in
0: China? (laughs) And yes, (laughs) I say on my iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) This is awful, he texts in blue.
1: (laughs) All right, and without further ado, here are five lessons that we took from Creativity, a
0: short and cheerful guide. All right, lesson one. Whoever you are, you can be creative. So he starts out saying, anyone can be creative. We can't all be Mozart, but we can become more creative than we are now. And I super agree with him on that. I get a little peeved when someone says they're not creative, but that person has also made humans. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or I know religious people who think creativity is a godly virtue who say they're not creative. And I'm like, would you ever say, oh, I'm just not honest (laughs) Like, there's nothing you can do. Anyway, he talks about how crazy it is that at no point in his entire schooling did anyone try to teach him how to be creative. Mm. Like every breakthrough, science, art, business, government, society, every single one needs creativity and we just don't teach it. But I can tell you the capital of New Hampshire. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, I can't. (laughs) I wrote the first part of that joke and then I was like, wait, though, what is it? I still don't know. I didn't want to look it up before the joke.
1: (laughs) I just want to let everyone know, because there is a certain personality type, that when you said that just now, they screamed the answer at our podcast. (laughs) And I just want to let those people know, I'm very impressed that you knew that.
0: (laughs) Do you know what it is off the top of your head?
1: It's something Haven, right?
0: Oh, is it New Haven? I thought that's Connecticut.
1: Which is where I'm going to be February 25th through the (laughs) 27th at the Stress Factory.
0: (laughs) So he says, you can teach creativity, or perhaps I should say more accurately, you can teach people how to create the circumstances in which they will become more creative. So if you're a listener who thinks you're not creative and you take anything from this podcast, I'm like almost begging you to believe you can be creative. Or at least come up with a creative reason why you can't.
1: <laughs> I think, unfortunately, what has happened in our culture, at least now, is that creativity, for some reason, is only synonymous with like stuff you can come up with and put on Pinterest.
0: <laughs> you hate Pinterest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't know if I've said it on here before but pinterest is just where great ideas can be copied relentlessly i like what he said about creativity in general he includes it in the introduction he says that creativity is just a new way of thinking of things mm-hmm. so it doesn't mean that you have to be able to sculpt something you know or paint a sunrise it just means thinking outside of the box which is uh saying that i just created
0: very good (laughs) there was some author i cannot remember who it was and i I kept searching for it but they give corporate presentations where they're like is there anyone in your entire organization you don't want to be creative and people always be like oh accounting ha 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 like Mm -hmm. no no fraud no enron And this person is like, well, think about it. Think of all the accounting innovations that make businesses more efficient and allow you to get by on less capital or use it more efficiently. Of course, you want your accountants to be creative and to be coming up with those kinds of innovations. But I just can't remember who it's from. So if any listeners remember, please let me know.
1: Oh, it's for sure a few of the ones who knew the capital of New Hampshire. (laughs) I also think it's fascinating and sad. He went to Cambridge. That's what he's talking about. Like one of the highest institutes of learning and there were zero courses on on creativity when creativity is the tool by which some of the intellectual heroes of world history is how they operated. You learn in these institutions about Leonardo da Vinci and Benjamin Franklin and Albert Einstein, but the fact that they don't teach you how those people learned.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's almost like if a school loved Miles Davis, and so it taught you how to play every one of his pieces note for note, but never taught you how to improvise.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's such a perfect analogy. (laughs) of like, here's what he did, but nothing on how he did it. Yeah, because in the biography of Albert Einstein that we just did on a recent episode, there were so many great quotes in there from Einstein about how, to him, education is not a memorization of facts. It's learning to be curious in visual ways, and then the equations come later.
0: Mm. He also did a good job of redefining parenthood. (laughs) (laughs) To me, parenting is not being there.
1: Here's a creative Einstein joke I just came up with. Uh, Someone asked Einstein, are you a father? And he said, relatively. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. That's the end of our podcast. That's the
0: best joke I've ever (laughs) heard you tell.
1: (laughs) All right. Lesson two, treat your creative time with respect. So there's this documentary on Netflix about Mark Hoffman, who is not only one of the greatest forgers, but one of the greatest con men of all time and also one of the worst sociopaths. <laughs> but he, he did all these world famous forgeries of ancient documents and sold them for hundreds of thousands of dollars. But he was also married with a wife and kids and he just, he just had a room in his house that he kept locked. And his wife, she just knew to not go in there. And when she's interviewed in this documentary, she just says, oh, yeah, that was his room. So when I was vacuuming, I just knew it would always be locked. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs>
0: if that were your husband, wouldn't you be relieved to find out it's just forgeries?
1: Oh, no. He also made bombs. <laughs> <laughs> that's a real Originals thing. or... <laughs> But the point was he had this safe, creative space. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so John Cleese says, you have to create a safe place where you can play. You first do this by creating boundaries of space and then boundaries of time. You may set aside, say, 90 minutes, but then you treat those 90 minutes with respect. You don't allow any interruptions. And knowing that this chunk of time is sacred, you can then start to play. I just love how he uses these words here, that it's this sort of juxtaposition that creative time should be like playful, even silly time. But you treat this unit of time with seriousness, Mm -hmm. like treating it as, as sacred and I, I love the part that follows when he says, you, you, when you first start this process, it's going to be difficult. He says, at first, you'll sit down and think, oh, I forgot to call Tom. And then you'll remember you haven't bought your cat a birthday present. And then you'll recall how embarrassed you were last night when you couldn't remember your sister's name. And then you'll wonder why your leg is itching so much and why Germany always wins on
0: penalties.
1: <laughs> I laughed out loud so many times during this.
0: What's so interesting there is that he's coming at this from the comedy world. Cal Newport in Deep Work is coming at it from the business and academic world, and yet they both agree so strongly on how vital it is to secure your creative time and space to minimize interruptions.
1: I don't want to re-explain what John Cleese has already explained best, but I hope that this gives anyone permission who needs it to, to treat their creative spaces of time seriously, no matter how silly your task may be.
0: A thing that I wait to share with people until they know me pretty well is that I have an eight hundred page document of my favorite jokes. <laughs> oh, wow! Holy cow! What do you what do you use that for?
1: Do you just like revisit it? Do you read it to people at, by campfires?
0: <laughs> Lately, the the main thing I use it for is if I'm trying to write a new character and I don't have a handle on them yet. I have a little bit of sorting of like different categories of some of my favorites in the doc and so I can be like oh this flavor of a joke is one that would fit this character and this flavor Whoa. doesn't fit them quite as well that sort of thing.
1: So you're saying when you can't think of a character you just copy old jokes. That's cool. So it's like you've created <laughs> you've created the pinterest of jokes. <laughs> Again, going along with these same creative principles, Stephen King, he has a chapter in his book on writing called Close the Door, and he's saying the same thing, that you need a place. But it's also, it's less hostile than it sounds. For me, treating this place as uh, your creative time with respect, it doesn't just mean like keeping out distracting intruders. (laughs) But it also means, like, don't keep your tabs open either on your computer. Like, shut the door figuratively on on your computer and your phone as well.
0: Yeah, free yourself from the distractions of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I sometimes get in trouble because I work with my phone in the other room and I have an app that locks me off of the internet. Because if I don't do those two things, then I will just distract myself to no end during my writing time.
1: I'm doing it right now. On an unrelated note, I just remembered that the capital of New Hampshire is Concord. (laughs) Anyway, what's that internet blocking app you just mentioned? (laughs) I need it immediately.
0: I know you're joking, but it's called freedom. (laughs) All right, lesson three. Let your unconscious work. So he tells a couple stories. This one time he wrote a sketch with his buddy and then he lost it. And he was really embarrassed. So he sits down to rewrite it from memory. And later, he finds the original and he compares them to see how accurate he was in remembering it. And he realized the one he rewrote from memory was actually better. And he says, my mind must have continued to think about the sketch after I had finished it. And my mind had been improving what we'd written without oh. my making any conscious attempt to do so. And I get that because the more times I replay a fight in my head, the more blameless (laughs) I become. Then he tells another story. He used to work on sketches at night and he'd get stuck on a problem for a while and finally give up and go to bed. And then he'd wake up in the morning and almost immediately find the answer. And he said, I began to discover that if I put the work in before going to bed, I often Mm. had a little creative idea overnight. So he talks about how the unconscious is super useful, but it gets a bad rap Mm. because we associate it with Freud who we've talked about was always in error (laughs) but never in doubt. (laughs) I actually just learned that Freud tried to convince the world of the benefits of cocaine. (laughs) 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 Listen to this insane sentence from his Wikipedia page. It has so many stories in one line. He had introduced cocaine to his friend who had become addicted to morphine, taken to relieve years of excruciating nerve pain resulting from an infection acquired after injuring himself while performing an autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> But really, John Clee says, you know, look at all the great things that your unconscious does. It digests your food and makes your heart beat and it lets you drive a car without thinking about it or get dressed or play the piano or play sports. And so he basically says your unconscious can do magic things for you if you just get started and put in the time and work mm-hmm. and then get rid of interruptions.
1: That story of him trying to recall a sketch and then actually writing a better version of it it reminds me of that story of how Green Day they recorded an entire album and then all the master tapes were stolen from that recording studio. What? And so they just recorded a new album. Wow. And that album became American Idiot, which is like for Green Day fans, it's their you know, Piece de Resistance (laughs) right here.
0: <laughs> the first album was super pro Bush. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but now it's like a Broadway musical, you know, it's a big thing. And I, wow. I just wonder if you could compare the stolen recordings to the newest ones, would it be a, an improvement on these other ideas? All right. Lesson four writer's block is an essential part of creativity. See? So he talks about (laughs) writing with Grant Chapman of Monty Python and going sometimes a full day without coming up with anything that ended up uh, as a sketch and being frustrated by that. But they soon found that with the productive and also the seemingly unproductive time they spent in this creative process – They still came out week after week with an average of, he says, 15 to 18 minutes of good usable sketches. So he says, quote, we came to understand that the blockages weren't an interruption in the process. They were part of it. Right. It's so infuriating. If you Google how to cure writer's block, you'll find a thousand articles. But all you need is this one sentence. You just accept it as part of the process. So much of writer's block is progress through negative space. You still are like moving past what you need to, to mine that gold. Thinking that writer's block shouldn't exist is as unreasonable as like, can you imagine the most annoying gold miner who with every single hammer of his pick, he's like, no gold, no gold, no
0: gold. Why is there no gold here? (laughs) 10 tips to get rid of gold block.
1: (laughs) It's also how you quickly end up with another pickaxe lodged between your shoulder
0: blades. (laughs) Well, I I loved the metaphor he used where he said, when you eat, the bit where the fork returns empty to your plate isn't a failure. It's just part of the eating process. (laughs) Yes. I think when I heard that line, my jaw dropped <laughs> so that the fork could go in. So going off
1: this idea that like ideas are to be found by thinking through this blank space and generating bad ideas or just struggling to think of anything at all. And also going back to the fact that creativity isn't just about the arts. The same creative idea-seeking process can apply directly to so many other things, trying to think of a gift for a loved one, coming up with a theme for you know a political speech, trying to come up with how best to explain something to a child, um, figuring out how best to fake your death for the life insurance. So just... <laughs> To give you an idea of how the process can work, here is candidly a a list that I brainstormed without throwing any ideas out. Um, I just came up with five of them for faking your death for the life insurance joke. Uh, Number one, just leaving a note that I went skydiving. Uh, Number two, pretending to have a heart attack from some McDonald's french fries and then using that serum in movies that slows your pulse to an imperceptible rate. Uh, number Three, sending a false obituary to a state farm, like I said these were these are brainstormed. <laughs> these aren't like the cream of the crop, but this is just like going through my brain, trying to come up with a joke. Number four, having my family all practice their surprised faces. uh Number five, <laughs> I think is the only good one, which is leaving one of my hats on top of some quicksand. <laughs> And so normally, if I was going to... I always
0: wonder, why doesn't the hat sink?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why isn't the whole person made of the hat? Um, (laughs) If I was going to write a joke to share on the podcast, I obviously, I would have gotten rid of the rest of those. But it it took me four semi-confusing, silly thoughts to get to that, that one good idea. And it usually is more like 1 in 10 or 1 in 20 lines that I come up with will actually end up in my act. So it's a much weirder way to eat. Because <laughs> then it's just, I take one bite, but then my forecast to touch my plate empty like 19 more times.
0: <laughs> Kellen is fighting for his life to not be put into a home. But he's like, no, John Cleese said... <laughs> No, but I think that process makes a lot of sense. I don't remember where I heard this idea either, but there was someone who said, if you can't come up with one idea, come up with 10, because it means you're putting too much pressure on your ideas. Mm, And mm -hmm. it's better to come up with 10 bad ideas than just no ideas at all. All right, lesson five. Never think you have it figured out. So this is a short one. He says... As a general rule, when people become absolutely certain that they know what they're doing, their creativity plummets. This is because they think they have nothing more to learn. Once they believe this, they naturally stop learning and fall back on established patterns. And that means they don't grow. Mm. And he says it so eloquently that all I can offer is a testimonial. So I'm thinking of three major times in my career, once in sketch, once in ads, once in sitcoms, where I felt like, yep, I got all the answers. And looking back, I was doing my worst work. <laughs> <laughs> but I legit, for some reason, just thought I had it figured out. <laughs> I think that's the the blessing and the
1: curse of the creative process is that while you are in it, if you are truly being purely creative, there is no room for objectivity. It's like that study that we talked about from that, I think I want to say it was Peak, where they put those... They put those sensors on jazz musicians' brains while they were improvising on their instruments.
0: Oh, I think it's range.
1: Range. You knew it was range, but you didn't know conquered. Um,
0: (laughs) But who did they conquer? (laughs)
1: And for those improvisers who are who are just purely being creative, the logic and rational part of their brain completely shut down, the judgmental part.
0: You know what that kind of reminds me of? That idea of sort of the logical brain getting out of the way? Apparently a big part of the way that hallucinogenics work is that they're not really activating part of the brain, they're shutting down the part of the brain that shuts down other parts of the brain.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: <laughs> That's a huge oversimplification, I'm sure. I'm <laughs> I don't actually know the neuroscience, but that was the takeaway I got from a book.
1: (laughs) It's like how it is with my jokes. Like I put out a special and uh, my closing joke was this joke about Leonardo DiCaprio and The Revenant and how, yeah, he won the Oscar. And people were impressed that he lost 30 pounds. And it's like, yeah, I, w- I would do that too for $20 million. Um, <laughs> that was my favorite idea, my favorite joke. But it's my bike lock joke that resonated with people. And that that was like in the middle of my set on Conan and on mm. Drybar. And if I would have like known that, I would have put that one at the end.
0: <laughs> you know? It's a real uh, sacking of the Shire problem. <laughs> All right, random facts. So I love this story. This guy is sitting in a restaurant with his son, and in walks Harold Pinter, this Nobel Prize-winning playwright. And the dad says, that's Harold Pinter. He's a very fine writer. And his son says, ooh, can he do Ws? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's pronounced clease. Oh, is it? Yeah, that's my first random fact.
0: I said John Cleese. You let me say Cleese like eight times.
1: Yeah, just so that this part would be more satisfying. <laughs> Do you know that? All all you conquered people. <laughs> so I've said John Cleese my whole life, and then I watched a documentary on about Monty Python, and everyone just says Cleese the whole time. And I'm sure people will argue, yeah, but it's an American-British thing. But it's like, no, it's just an S thing. <laughs> I don't buy the American pronunciation argument because he also mentions in the documentary that his father's last name was actually Cheese. <laughs> there wasn't cheese. Wait, for real? For real. Yeah. Cheese. So he just, rather than changing it to like Ferguson, <laughs> he just changed one letter <laughs> from Cheese to Cleese. <laughs>
0: Did you have to pay per letter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's
1: just like could we could we just sort of take that one leg off the H?
0: (laughs) Or they had just embroidered a thousand handkerchiefs and (laughs) (laughs) so he says when he asks for writing feedback, he only asks four questions. One, where were you bored? Two, where did you not understand what was going on? Three, where did you not find something credible? And four, was there anything you found emotionally upsetting? And he says, the people you have asked will probably suggest their solutions, too. Ignore these completely. Smile, look interested, thank them and leave, because they have no idea what they're talking about, unless they are writers themselves.
1: (laughs) Oh, that, that is so great. It's fantastic for a couple of reasons. First of all... Uh, It's validating for me, because if I ever try and test out a joke just on one other person, all I ask is, is this idea clear to you? Because if one person could determine whether or not this joke was going to kill, it would be me in the first place. (laughs) But what you need is a hive mind of a hundred people and then they will let you know. I don't know why it works that way, but it just does.
0: What if you could find the most average person in the world where anytime <laughs> they laugh at a joke, a broad comedic audience will find it p- funny? Whoever they vote for will win every election. <laughs>
1: The other reason why that is so great with that context is that I just read an interview with John Cleese where he related a story about a script that he was trying to get approved at Disney. And this executive came back with all these notes for his screenplay. And John Cleese said, thanks, I would use these notes if I wanted my script to be worse. <laughs> then he goes off to the interviewer about how everyone wants to give feedback when they haven't written a single blanking thing in their whole life. And it's so true.
0: So the book is basically a collection of creative aphorisms. So I've collected just a few of my favorite. He says, the greatest killer of creativity is interruption. Hmm. And I'd say the second greatest is Mark David Chapman. (laughs) Did you ever hear that story of how George Harrison got stabbed by this guy who broke into his house? And in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, he was like, this crap never happens to the Rolling Stones. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Another quote. He says, Getting discouraged is a total waste of time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such an interesting way to reframe it. And it's it's almost like very encouraging. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He also says, new ideas are rather like small creatures. They're easily strangled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> and then last one, he says, once it's been agreed when the real world decision has to happen, why make it before the deadline arrives? If you can wait longer, two incredibly important things may happen. One, you may get new information. Two, you may get new ideas. Mm -hmm. That's why when I play Quiplash, I write my first joke idea and then slowly watch the time tick down as I beg my brain for something better.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One that I really liked. He says, when you're in creative mode, there's no such thing as a mistake. You can't know if you've made a wrong turn unless you take it
0: first. Interesting.
1: Which is what it's I say like... when I'm lost.
0: <laughs> I know you're joking but it it almost is like trying to find your way through a maze. Mm-hmm. If you go down a dead end and you remember now that that's a dead end, you are closer to solving the maze even though that was a mistake.
1: Oh, it really is and that's that's another great analogy of how It isn't wasted time. Yeah, it's slowly being revealed to you, and you needed that information.
0: And now you know where the Minotaur is. (laughs) And all the things you can do without a left arm. (laughs) 100% our New Hampshire people are now screaming that the Minotaur was in a labyrinth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, again, speaking of brainstorming again... Uh, the name for Monty Python's Flying Circus was a result of of brainstorming. Here are just a few of them: owl stretching time, <laughs> a horse, a spoon, and a bucket, <laughs> Vaseline review, the toad elevating moment, and <laughs> and this last one also sounds like. Something that J.K. Rowling brainstormed for the writing the authors of the Marauders map. It's Bun, Wacket it, Buzzard, Stubble, and Boot.
0: <laughs> They're the guys who made the map for Hogwarts Night School. <laughs> but honestly, every single one of those names is really funny. <laughs> Another good creativity tip for having a good idea is to have... A lot of ideas and for them to all be good.
1: I'm going to push back a little bit because I think it has less of a ring to it. If it was bun, whack buzzard, stubble and boots, holy grail.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying all those are great show names, but they all made me laugh. They're just fun. (laughs) So Kellen mentioned uh, John Cleese's definition of creativity (laughs) earlier, which is just new ways of thinking about things. I actually really like the definition given by Teresa Amabile uh, when she was on the Freakonomics podcast. She said, we identify creativity as essentially novelty that works. To me, that's what's
1: fascinating about, I I would have loved to have seen it in the context of its time. Mm. The crazy thing to me about Monty Python is that when it came out, TV shows had essentially only been around for about 20 years. Wow. How crazy would it have been to see it with with that context of like imagine you're watching like Leave It to Beaver <laughs> and then you switch channels and there's a guy slapping another man with a fish, you know, it's just
0: <laughs> Leave It to Beaver does sound like a title they would have considered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from Creativity, A Short and Cheerful Guide. One, whoever you are, you can be creative. Two, treat your creative time with respect. Three, let your unconscious work. Four, writer's block is an essential part of creativity. Five, never think you have it figured out. And six,
1: sometimes when you're trying to write a book... You're done at page 73.
0: His ending in the audiobook really is so funny because he says, that's the end of this book. I don't know why I need to read it since it only takes an hour to read, but maybe some of you can't read. <laughs> <laughs> he says, the greatest killer of creativity is interruption. Zebras. So he just, I was gonna laugh, but I got writer's block. (laughs)